is good to be with you this morning. I just want to mention real quickly that we are only three weeks away from our annual couples retreat in Durango, Colorado. Um, if you are planning on being a part of that retreat, I need to know as soon as possible. If you've not, let me know. Uh, we're over 30 couples so far, but we have room for more. Um, so if you want to be a part of that, please let me know. If you have questions about that, please ask me some questions about that. By coincidence, Guy Orbison from Durango is with us this morning. I don't know if he came down to promote that so that they could have a bunch of people at church on that Sunday, but they always do a very good job of hosting us. We have a meal Saturday night in their fellowship hall, and it's always a treat to worship with them that Sunday morning. So, Guy, it's good to have you here with us this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day. And Father, we thank you for bringing us together. Father, our desire is to be equipped by your word, equipped by you, equipped by each other, Father, so that we can be the servants that you would have us be, so that we can do our work of service in this body, Father, so that we can be a body that looks like Jesus Christ. And Father, today as we begin to look at some of the objections that we always raise about why we're not capable of serving just pray, Father, that you'll speak to us, that you'll touch our hearts, you'll help us to see that you have called all of us to serve in your kingdom. And Father, we pray this through the name of Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. Well, as we get started, I want to just let everybody know that I am deeply gratified and I'm very encouraged by your response to our 2016 theme. It seems that we really do have a hunger to be equipped to serve here at Netherwood Park I also have to say that I've really been kind of blown away by your response to our Project 6K. Blown away by your response to our challenge as a body to read at least 6,000 books of the Bible and to engage in at least 6,000 family devotionals in 2016. It's just been two weeks since we introduced that challenge and your hunger for God's word is very obvious your desire to be immersed in God's word, to be equipped by his scripture, is really evident to anyone who's paying any attention at all. I want to give you a quick update on where we are with our Project 6K, and I'm really excited to be able to report this to you. In just two weeks, I've already heard from 75 of you, 75 of you who have committed to reading the whole Bible, at least the whole Bible, at least all 66 books of the Bible in the year 2016. I've also heard from 35 people who have committed to reading at least the New Testament, at least the 27 books of the New Testament in 2016. And so far, from what's been reported to me, we've already read 514 books of the Bible this year just in the month of January alone. Also, I've heard from 12 families already in just one week who have committed to having regular family devotionals throughout 2016. And that's a great start. I also want you to know it's not too late to join in. You can join in at any point. I just want you to know that we really want you to let us know if you've joined in with a challenge. So just let us know that you are joining in, then start your reading, start having those family devotionals, report your progress, and then I want us all to be looking forward to how God is going to equip us, how God is going to equip you and your family and this church through his word. As we continue to talk about equipping, this morning we're going to begin a new series of sermons called It Doesn't Matter. 
In this series of sermons, we're going to confront some common objections that we often have to answering God's call to serve. We're going to address some issues that we often believe disqualify us from serving in God's kingdom. We'll look at issues that we often believe disqualify others from being able to serve in God's kingdom. Let's do a quick thought experiment together. Take out a pencil or a pen and your outline or any piece of paper that you might have and jot down somewhere on that piece of paper your answer to this question. What do you think would be the top five responses if you asked every member of this congregation to complete this sentence? Top five responses. I'm not qualified to serve in God's kingdom because. Go ahead and do it. Jot them down. Five responses. I'm not qualified to serve in God's kingdom because. And as we're thinking about those kind of objections, I want you to know those are the kind of objections we're going to confront and we're going to address over the next several weeks in this series. And I think it's really important that we confront and address these objections. And the reason why it's so important is because the body of Christ will never be what it was intended to be unless every one of us, every member, every body part is doing their part by serving in God's kingdom. And as we address and confront these objections, we won't forget, we'll never forget that we are all, every one of us, called to serve If you'll remember, it's right there in our theme in the scripture that we've been focusing on in Ephesians chapter 4. In verse 11, Paul begins by saying, So Christ himself gave the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. See, the whole body grows into what we are called to be when each one of us does our work, when all of us, each and every one of us, serves. So throughout this series, we won't forget that we are all, each and every one of us, called to serve. And today we're going to start out by addressing what's probably the most basic, probably the most general objection of them all. And that objection goes something like this. I'm not qualified to serve in God's kingdom because of who I am. And I want you to know that this morning I hope that I can convince you through God's word that when it comes to being fit to serve in God's kingdom, it doesn't matter who you are. I also want you to know up front that there's really three groups of people that I'm going to be speaking to this morning. 
I want you to listen and see if you fit in in one or more of these groups. I want you to know that there are important lessons for you in this sermon if you are part of the group that doesn't believe that you are qualified to serve in God's kingdom. If you're part of the group that can hear yourself saying words like this, I'm not qualified to serve because of who I am. If that describes you, this message this morning is for you. There's also a second group that this message is for. There are important lessons in this sermon. This sermon is for you if you don't believe that some of your brothers and sisters are qualified to serve in God's kingdom. If you can hear yourself saying words like this, they aren't qualified to serve because of who they are. If that's true, then this message is for you. There's a final group, a third group that I want to make sure hears this message this morning. If you do believe that you are qualified to serve, if you just really believe that you have what it takes to serve, if you can hear yourself saying words like this, I am qualified to serve because of who I am, this message is also for you. And if that doesn't pretty much cover all of us here today, if each of us isn't a part of at least one of those groups, actually I would be very surprised. So if you don't believe you're qualified to serve in this body, or if you don't believe that other people in this body are qualified to serve this body, or if you believe that you are qualified, that you do have what it takes, I will be speaking to you today. And also please understand, I'm going to be speaking to myself today, because I'm a part of those groups you know, as we confront these objections to being qualified to serve, we could choose any number of directions to go. We could choose any number of verses to look at. We could choose any number of Bible characters to focus on. But we're just going to go to one place in the Bible, and we're going to focus on one servant of God from the Bible. We'll be in the third and fourth chapters of Exodus, and we'll focus on Moses, God's great servant, Moses. Most of us probably know the story of Moses fairly well. We've been told those stories since we were little children. We know that Moses was called to serve. We know that Moses' call to serve wasn't some minor call. It wasn't some insignificant call to service. No, Moses was called to lead God's nation. Moses was called to lead God's chosen people out of slavery in Egypt to his promised land, to freedom in the land that God had promised to Abraham. He promised that someday they would possess that land. God gives Moses a big job. He gives him an important job. It's a vitally important work. In fact, this is the pivotal moment in the story of God's chosen people. It's the point at which they leave slavery behind and become God's mighty nation in the world. And the man that God chose to do this work, to do his work, to serve his kingdom is this man, Moses. You probably also remember the story leading up to Moses' call. There's this little band of God's chosen people. There's Jacob's family. There's the Israelites. And they followed their brother Joseph to Egypt. And they went there because there was a great famine in the land. And they remained there. And as time passed, the Israelites went from being Egypt's honored guests to being Egypt's slave workforce. What also happened during that time is they grew from this little band of people, a little family tribe, into this great number of people, a great nation. 
It's a large group of people now. So large, in fact, that the Egyptians begin to live in constant fear of what might happen if this group of slaves decides to revolt. And they respond to their fear by working them harder and harder and being crueler and crueler in their treatment of their slave workforce. And all that happens is the Israelite nation continues to grow. Pharaoh becomes desperate to stop the growth. And what he does is he decrees that all newborn baby boys born to the Israelites, all of those baby boys are to be thrown in the Nile River so they'll drown. So there won't be any more males. So the growth will stop. And it's at that point in history, it's at that point in God's story when Moses makes his entrance. He's one of those newborn Israelite boys. We know the story. He's rescued by Pharaoh's own daughter. He grows up in Pharaoh's own household. He has all the advantages that come with being a part of the royal household. And then one fateful day, he sees an Egyptian slave master mistreating one of the Israelites, and he intervenes. He intervenes by killing the Egyptian. He thinks that no one knows, but Pharaoh finds out what happened, and Pharaoh determines that he's going to kill Moses. And Moses does what most of us would do. He runs. He runs to the wilderness. He goes to Midian, and he becomes a sheep herder. And he's 40 years into his work as a sheep herder when we take up our story with God's call. That's when God called Moses to lead the Israelite nation to freedom, lead them to the promised land. So if you're like me, you ask questions when you hear these kind of stories. And one of the questions that I ask is, why Moses? Why this man? Why at this pivotal moment in Israel's story, with this great task be done, why did God call Moses? Why did God call Moses to serve Well, if we use our way of thinking, it had to be because of Moses' qualifications, right? had to be because of who he was. It had to be because Moses was supremely qualified to take over leadership of millions of people. It had to be because Moses was uniquely qualified to negotiate with Egypt and its king. It had to be because Moses was such a great motivational speaker that he and he alone would be able to unite this nation of slaves with the power of his words and help them capture the vision of their glorious future in the promised land as God's chosen people. You'd think that's what it had to be, but that's not what it was. Let's take a quick look at Moses' resume. Let's list his qualifications. The resume starts out promising enough. He grew up in the royal household. He had this elite education. It's like Moses had a graduate degree from Harvard. It starts out strong. But even though his resume starts out strong, it quickly loses all of its steam. Loses all of its steam because the next entry is all about Moses' legal trouble. Moses is a fugitive from justice. Moses is wanted for murder. He isn't just wanted for murder. He's wanted for murder back in the land, back in the country that God is saying that he wants to send him back to. Well, how about Moses' work experience? Surely there's going to be something strong on his resume there. Well, it is encouraging that he's held a steady job for 40 years. We like people who are able to hold steady jobs, right? He's been doing the sheep herding for 40 years. But he's been herding sheep. He hasn't been leading people. 
See, God didn't choose Moses because of his resume. It wasn't because of his work qualifications. So it's probably because of Moses' personal qualities, right? Because Moses had such great confidence. Because Moses was so decisive. Because Moses had great ambition. Because Moses maybe had such a positive attitude. That's probably why God chose Moses, right? Let's pick up the story of Moses and his call to serve in Exodus chapter 3. We've read it and you remember the scene. Moses is out tending sheep. He saw this strange sight. There was a bush that was on fire, but the bush wasn't being burned up. Moses, of course, went to investigate and God spoke to Moses out of that burning bush. He had him take off his sandals because he was on holy ground. And then God said this in verse 7. God said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. He continues in verse 9, God says, The cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. And here is Moses' call from God. Verse 10, God says, so now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. It's a pretty straightforward call, isn't it? God says, my people are being oppressed, so go to Pharaoh and bring my people out of Egypt. God's plan is pretty straightforward. But Moses' response really isn't. See, Moses raises all kinds of objections to God's plan. And every one of Moses' objections has to do with who he is. Or maybe better said, with who he isn't. Let's quickly go through and listen to Moses' objections to God's plan. His objections to God's choice of him as his chosen leader. In verse 11, Moses says, Who am I that I should go? Moses is asking, why me? In effect, he's saying, haven't you seen my resume? In verse 13, Moses is concerned that he won't know what to say. He's afraid that he won't have the right words. He says to God, suppose I go and they ask who sent me. What will I say? Chapter 4 and verse 1, we see that Moses is afraid that no one will listen to him or no one will believe him. So he says to God, what if I go and they do not believe me and they won't listen to me? Then in verse 10, Moses quits beating around the bush and just comes right out and says what his main objection really is. He says, I'm not qualified. He says to God, oh Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. And then finally, in verse 13, we hear Moses make one final plea. He says, there has to be someone more qualified. There has to be someone better. So he begs God and he says, oh Lord, please send someone else to do it. Well, why go through this list of objections? Well, the reason I think it's important to go through this list of objections is because they seem all too familiar to me. Do they seem familiar to you? 
Why go through this list of objections? We should go through this list of objections because Moses' list of of objections to serving could very well be my list of objections to serving. Could it be your list? Why can't I serve? Well, have you seen my resume? Why can't I serve? Well, I just don't know what to say. Why can't I serve? Well, what if they won't listen to me? What if they won't believe me? Why can't I serve? Well, haven't you been paying any attention? I'm too much this and I'm not enough that. Or I'm not enough this and I'm too much that. I'm not qualified. Why can't I serve? Well, because obviously there are people who are more qualified than I am. There are people who can do it better. So please, God, send someone else to do it. See, Moses' list sounds an awful lot like my list. And it also sounds an awful lot like my list of objections to other people serving. Does it sound like your list of objections to other people serving? Why shouldn't he serve? Well, have you seen his resume? Why shouldn't she serve? Well, she wouldn't know what to say. Why shouldn't he serve? Well, no one would listen to him. No one would believe him. Why shouldn't she serve? Well, haven't you been paying attention? She's too much this, and she's definitely not enough that. She's not qualified to serve. Why shouldn't they serve? Well, because there are people who are more qualified. There are people who can do it better. We better just send someone else to do it. And you know, just like Moses' objections, our objections may very well be valid. The resumes may be very weak. The abilities may not be very evident. The qualifications may seem to be in very short supply. There very well may be people who are more qualified to serve. You see, the story of Moses is that it doesn't matter what your qualifications are. What matters is who your God is. We see it in this exchange as Moses and God are having this conversation. God gets increasingly frustrated with Moses and every objection that Moses makes. And the way that God responds to Moses' objections is by taking the spotlight off of Moses' qualifications. He takes the spotlight and he moves it off of Moses and off of Moses' qualifications. And instead, he shines the light on himself. Shines the light on his own qualifications. The qualifications of the all-powerful God. See, as God addresses Moses' objections, he doesn't try to reassure Moses that his resume is strong enough. Because you know what? Moses' resume isn't strong enough. And he doesn't try to convince Moses that Moses is eloquent enough. Because Moses isn't eloquent enough. And he doesn't try to convince Moses that Moses' qualifications are good enough. Because Moses' qualifications aren't good enough. See, Moses isn't strong enough, but his God is. Moses isn't eloquent enough, but his God is. Moses isn't qualified enough, but his God is. 
So God meets every one of Moses' objections, not by stressing who Moses is, but by stressing that he, the one who's doing the calling, that he is God. So what I want all of us to do is to listen to how God addressed Moses' objections. Listen to how God addresses Moses' objections to serving because that's the same way that God is answering our objections, the way God is responding to our list of reasons why we can't serve. I'm not qualified, we say. And God says, go anyway, because I have come down. I'm not qualified, we say. And God says, go anyway, because I am sending you. I'm not qualified, we say. And God says, go anyway, because I will be with you. I'm not qualified, we say. And God says, go anyway, because I am. He says, I am, I am the Lord. I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, and that is who has called you. Go anyway. I'm not qualified, we say. And God says, go anyway, because I will help you. I'm not qualified, we say. And God says, go anyway, and I will teach you. See, it doesn't matter who we are. It matters that our God is the great I am. And if the great I am, if our God has called us to serve, we cannot fail. We will not fail if we will rely on him. If we'll rely on his qualifications, if we'll rely on his resume, if we'll rely on his power. So as we wrap up, as we close this lesson, I said that there were three lessons in this sermon for three different groups of people who are here today. So let me summarize those lessons for you. Here they are. For that first group, the group of us who doesn't believe that we are qualified to serve, let me just say, remember that our service isn't about who we are not. Instead, it's about who our God is. And our God is the great I am. And for that second group, the second group of us who doesn't believe that other people in our body are qualified to serve, let me just say I want you to remember that their service isn't about who they are not. Instead, it's about who their God is. And he is the great I am. And finally, that third and final group It's a group that we really haven't talked about until now. That's the group of us that takes great pride in our belief that our resume is strong enough. That takes pride in the fact that our qualifications are good enough. Those of us who believe that we can do it and we can do it with our own abilities. Let me say to us, we need to humbly remember that just like Moses, God hasn't lifted us up because of who we are. No, he's lifted us up to show who he is. To bring glory to the great I am. To show his power through our weakness. That's why God has lifted us up to serve in his kingdom. We aren't qualified to serve. But our God qualifies us. 
We aren't equipped to serve, but our God equips us. We're not worthy to serve, but our God makes us worthy. We're not strong enough to serve. But we can do all things through him who gives us strength. And Brad, if you want to come on up, we're going to start singing here in just a moment. That's the God who we serve. We serve the great I am. And that's why we place him in the very highest place. And that's why we come together and we worship at his feet. So as we end, what I want to ask all of you to do is I want to ask all of you to stand and let's sing together. Let's stand and worship at the feet of the great I am. Let's do that together. Yeah.